0: Welcome to Learning Bible Truth Thank God for another season I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala Dee Here to take you on a tour of the Bible By reading entire books in the Bible Not just one scripture, full chapters And of course, I share my commentary while we read line upon line and precept upon precept of every word of Scripture. Since you won't take the time to study and show yourself approved before God, I am bringing the Scriptures to you. So get your Bibles, take out pen and paper, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's grow in faith while we learn how to walk in God's amazing grace. Not my will, Lord, but God's will be done by giving our lives to His Son, Jesus the Christ. Good day, everyone. I am Doctor Kamala D. This is Learning Bible Truth, and I hope everyone had a wonderful time with their loved ones yesterday. I went and visited my oldest sister and my nephew and my brother-in-law yesterday. The youngest sister lives in Michigan, but I did video call her and we did talk. And I hope you guys enjoyed yourselves. Yes, I do. So let's get this truth on the road. We have reached episode 17 of this long series, I'll tell you. But this series um, should be ending by next weekend if I am able to share the last two episodes. Today, I will be sharing um, episode 17. Tomorrow, episode 18. Sunday, I have a special message to deliver to you guys. It is in regards to The new series I will be sharing after we conclude this one. It's very important, and I will share more on that Sunday. So, um, I am still teaching from the NIV. I may switch to the New King James uh, to share some scriptures. I have been studying up a storm, reading and studying for the next series, as well as um, this current series. So you can turn in your Bibles while I um, chit-chat for a few seconds to Isaiah chapter 11, the prophet Isaiah chapter 11, and I think we will remain in this episode in the uh, book of Isaiah. Yes, we all know Isaiah was one of uh, the prophets that the Lord God shared a revelation with in regards to the Messiah, Jesus. So for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, we are finding Jesus in the Old Testament, which is also known as the Hebrew scriptures. Our lead scriptures, it's just two, is found in John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40, where Jesus was talking to some unbelieving Pharisees and Sadducees and I think some of the scribes who, who were the law keepers. And, um, uh, they were arguing with him what they were arguing. Jesus wasn't arguing about healing someone on the Sabbath day. And Jesus was letting them know he is the Sabbath day and that, um, you can do what you need to do on the Sabbath day, even though it's a day of rest. But if you need to do something on the Sabbath day, you can do it. And, uh, he told them in verse 39 to search the scriptures In them you think you have eternal life, but it is they, they who the scriptures, who testify of me. And before we get to 39 and 40, uh, Jesus was talking about Moses. He mentioned to them about Moses, that Moses testified about him. So when Moses said that God will send you a prophet like me to share everything with you or to tell, tell you everything, depending on which version of the Bible you have. Um, he was letting them know that Moses was talking about them. If they knew Moses, if they believed Moses, if they knew the documentation of Moses, they would know that Moses was talking about him. Jesus was fulfilling all the scriptures in the, um, Hebrew scriptures in reference to the Messiah In verse 40, he says, um, but you will not come to me that you may have life. So We are continuing to find Jesus in the Old Testament and it it is blessing a lot of you to God be all the glory. I've often said that this ministry is God's ministry. He is just allowing me to be his chosen vessel to speak on this particular platform. So I hope you are being blessed and uh, I hope that you put your learning hats on today. Listen with an open mind because we are going to... Um, come across some very important information, and it, you may be enlightened, you uh, may be hearing it for the first time, or you may be hearing it for the second time, and finally receive the revelation today that these scriptures were talking about Jesus. So, um, with that said, I hope you are in Isaiah chapter 11. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5, and I am reading from the NIV. When I decide to use another version, I'll let you guys know. So I am beginning. Verse one, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Verse three, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. And you guys know the Lord judges the heart, not by what he sees or what he hears. Verse four, but with righteousness, he will judge the needy with justice He will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Verse five, righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. My Lord, my Lord, we are going to look at all five of these verses uh, independently and in more detail. Now in the mountains of North Carolina, some of you may notice one of our most common deciduous trees is the popular. They are difficult to kill. If they are cut a popular tree so that just the stump remains, a good possibility exists that a shoot will rise up from that stump to keep the tree alive. Now in these scriptures, however, The root and the stump of David's line of Judean kings had been dead for 600 years. Now, before these words of Isaiah are fulfilled in Jesus, keep in mind these kings, the Judean kings, had been dead for 600 years. Now, Isaiah chapter 10, verse 33 and 34, actually sets the context for our uh, subject scriptures As Isaiah predicts, he says, the lofty trees, the proud will be felled. That means cut off. The tall ones will be brought low. Just as he can make dead bones come to life in Ezekiel 37 and Aaron's ride to bud and bring forth fruit. God can make the stump of a dead kingly line burst forth with branches, flowers and and a, a bumper crop way back in Genesis chapter 49 verses 8 through 12, we saw how the Messiah was to come to earth through the tribe of Judah. That's why I said Judeans. Now Jesse, of course, was David's father and part of that line. He was part of the Judean line. So why does Isaiah mention Jesse here and not David? Now, you know, I think and, you know, receiving the revelation from the Holy Spirit, it was because he was testifying to the humility of our Lord Jesus. David was far more famous than his dad. Yes, he was far more famous than his dad. Now, in verse two and three of our um, scriptures, we are given insight into who this branch from the stump is. It says the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Now, seven characteristics of the spirit of the Lord are invested in this branch. The Lord Jesus in his earthly ministry, okay? You have to remember these characteristics were in the Lord Jesus during his earthly ministry. Now, first of all, we are told that it is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord. Quoting from another verse in Isaiah, Jesus began his earthly ministry with with the words in Luke 4.18. This is how he began his earthly ministry every time he went into a temple to preach. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news or either the gospel to the poor. Hallelujah. That's in Luke 4, 18. And as I call out these scriptures that I'm not going to ask you to go to, write them down so you can view them later. Okay. Don't take my word for it. Just write them down and then you can um, decide to view them later where you can um, confirm my quotes. Okay. Now the second characteristics. Of the, of the spirit mentioned here. As we saw in chapter 80, it is the spirit of wisdom. Jesus is the wisdom of God as the apostle Paul quotes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 24. Now third, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of understanding. Jesus understands his brothers and his sisters completely. That's in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. He says this, For we do not have a priest, the writer to the Hebrews, not Jesus. The writer to the Hebrews says this. I'm sorry. I'm glad I caught that early. For we do not have a priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus understood everything we were going through. That's why he had to come here in the flesh. Okay, so when you hear these unbelievers who don't have any understanding because they are trying to understand what their their simple and earthly and carnal minds saying, well, if he's God, why, why he came in the flesh? If God is is a spirit, the only way he could understand us is that he came in the form of a body as well. But his spirit was fully God. Okay, I don't want to get off track. That is another teaching, but where the Holy Spirit tells me to explain, I'm going to intervene and I'm going to add little stuff through here. I I have notes, but some things the Holy Spirit prompts me to move and prompts me to say. Okay, now fourth, the characteristic of the Holy Spirit is that of counsel. Jesus, as we have seen, is the wonderful counselor of Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. Remember we read those scriptures? He brings both wisdom and understanding to the benefit of his people. Now, the spirit of power is the fifth characteristic. In Romans chapter one, verse four, the apostle Paul says, Jesus through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Now, Jesus is our all powerful savior and Lord. We have to remember that. Okay. We have to understand that. And six, the Holy Spirit bestowed upon Jesus all knowledge. Jesus is the omniscient one who knew the thoughts of his opponents as well as his people. He knew all of their thoughts as well as the past and the future. Okay. Now his knowledge is without error or lack. We need to understand that completely. The knowledge of Jesus is without error or lack. Now, finally, in the seventh characteristics, seven being a number of completion, okay, the spirit bestowed upon the branch of Jesse delight in the fear of the Lord. Now, the righteousness of Jesus was principally exhibited in his delighting to do the Father's will, even to go to his death on the cross. That was the will of God. Seven characteristics, all blended perfectly into one person, Jesus, the Messiah, the one whom God gave the spirit without limit, according to the apostle John, verse 334. Okay. Now go to Isaiah chapter 28, Isaiah chapter 28, and I'm going to read uh, verses 16 through 18. I couldn't wait to get, get here because this is so important. My goodness. OK, and I, I'm only going to call out uh, verse 16 and when I get to 18, 18, because I hate stopping and giving the number when if you are following me in your Bibles, you should you should see where I am, even though you are reading a different version of the Bible. OK, Isaiah 28, beginning at verse 16. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. Hell will sweep away your refuge. The lie and water will overflow your hiding place. Verse 18, your covenant with death will be annulled your agreement with, with the grave will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge sweeps by, you will be beaten down by it. My Lord, my Lord. Now, in ancient times, the cornerstone of a building was a very large block of stone cut and laid precisely so that the rest of the building was measured and constructed based on that cornerstone. Now the New Testament speaks of Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Now of his building known as the church, the body of Christ in Ephesians chapter two, verse 19 and 22, the apostle Paul says this verses 19 and 22, and I am reading verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. He's talking to the Gentiles right now. He's talking to us. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That's the Holy Spirit that's being given to us as a seal in our hearts whenever we are born again, whenever we confess uh, Romans ten nine through 10. Okay, that last verse, chapter, I mean, I'm sorry, verse 22 says, And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The spirit of God is supposed to be living within you, sealing you until the day of redemption if you are saved. That's that spirit that nudge on you when you do something wrong, when you commit a sin, you start feeling guilty. See, if you have no remorse at all for being out there sinning openly in front of everybody, uh, chances are that Holy Spirit is not in you. You really didn't confess and receive Christ. And the Holy Spirit prompt me to say that. That's not within my notes, but let's continue. It's only information that's going to benefit you guys. Okay. Now the cornerstone of the foundation reflected the shape and purpose of the entire building in the church, the body of Christ. Our cornerstone is the Lord Jesus. It is not the pastor. It's not the deacons. And if you guys will allow me, let me take a sip of my, uh, lemon juice. or lemon water, I should say. Okay. It is not the pastor. Okay. It's not the bishop. It is Jesus Christ. He is supposed to be the cornerstone of the, of the church and the, the entire body of Christ. He provides the shape and future of our hope. Jesus does with his apostles and prophets as the sure foundation, Ephesians two twenty. Now, when I think of a, a chief cornerstone, The one that I'm visualizing is at the top of the building and not in its foundation. The the shape of this cornerstone or or capstone, that capstone is is the very top of the building that shapes the building. It's exactly the shape of the building that it, it rests on top of. Now, can you imagine this cornerstone? How about the pyramids in Egypt? They each had a stone at their summits that reflected the shape of the entire structure. So, the church of Jesus Christ is to reflect his image as well. Whose image? The Lord Jesus Christ's image. Now, we read this in 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 through 9. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 through 9. And for the sake of time, as I continue to read, you do have the option to pause the tape. Look for the scriptures, and when you come back, we'll be on the same page. Mm, Isn't modern technology amazing? Okay, I am reading. Now, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Talking about us, the body of Christ offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture, it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion. They are quoting, now this is Peter quoting the prophet Isaiah, letting us know, confirming that the prophet Isaiah was talking about Jesus. Listen now, we are, uh, 7, this verse 7, for in scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Verse 8, now to you who believe, okay, write that, underline that, to you who believe, see, this is not for everybody. That's why I tell you the Bible is not for non-Christians or non-believers. The Bible is for Christians. Because from Genesis to Revelation, is talking about the Messiah, God's salvation plan. So now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And a stone that causes men to stumble. And a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message. What's the message? The gospel which is also what they were destined for. And the last verse, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Or depending on which version you have, it says wonderful light. Wonderful or marvelous light, the same thing. Now, men reject the capstone because even though their deeds are evil in God's sight, they think that they've done just enough good works to make them acceptable to God. It's the most common theological fantasy of our day. Men think that all they have to do to be saved is just die, my Lord. But Peter speaks of this type of thinking in verses 7 and 8 of the scriptures we just read. Listen, I'm going to read them again, verses 7 and 8. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. That's the cornerstone, the foundation stone of the building. And a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Those who stumble on the gospel of God's grace, my Lord, through faith alone in Christ alone, receive the curses of the latter portion of these scriptures in in Isaiah. It says, hell will sweep away your refuge. So you don't have no safety net. Hell is going to sweep away away your refuge. This is for the non-believers. The lie and water will overflow your hiding place. Your covenant with death will be annulled. Your agreement with the grave will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge sweeps by, You will be beaten down by it. You know good and well God is not talking to his people. He ain't talking to the believers. We are still in Isaiah. Now, trot on over there to Isaiah chapter 49. Yes, Isaiah chapter 49. I'm going to read verses 5 and 6. Okay, and then we're going to talk about those verses. And now the Lord says... He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. Verse 6, he says, it is too small of a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. He's referring to the Messiah, not Isaiah. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now shortly after Jesus Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph took him to the temple in Jerusalem, if you guys know this story. There, Jesus was circumcised at, when he was eight days old and brought before the priest to be consecrated. Now, an old devout Jew named Simeon, y'all familiar with Simeon in the New Testament, was led by the spirit into the temple, into the temple courts. He took Jesus in his arms and prayed this prayer. And this is uh, documented in Luke chapter two, verses 29 through 32. He prayed this prayer. Savon, Lord, as you have promised, you hear the promise of the Messiah? As you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. Because Simeon was about to pass away, but God promised that he would see his salvation before he passed away. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The nation Israel was the object of God's affection back then. God said to uh, Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, the Lord did not set his affection on you and chose you because you were more numerous than other people. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your fa- your forefathers. Now, the, one of the reasons, even though Israel was so rebellious against the true and living God, that God continued to save them, continued to have mercy on them, and included them in his salvation plan is because he had promised to save them to Israel's forefathers. That's the only reason. See, God never goes back on his promise. That's why you can't be saved and lost. The question is, are you saved? That's the question because you can never be saved and lost. It's, it's unfortunate we got some of God's people who are truly saved out there cutting up, but they are not lost. They may cut their lives short, you know, leave out of here early, but they still will be with the Lord Jesus because you can never be saved and lost. Now, Israel is the church of the Old Testament. Okay, we need to understand that. The chosen nation was to lay a foundation in redemptive history, out of which would arise the promised Messiah. The Messiah, the Christ, would not come merely for the nation of Israel. He would come to be a light for the Gentiles as well. Now, Israel was a conduit for the salvation of the whole world. That Jesus would be a light for the Gentiles was revealed very early in his life. In the east, beyond the borders of Israel, a bright light a brilliant star shone in the heavens. Wise men, who also were Gentiles, saw the bright light of the star and traveled to Bethlehem. We all know the story. They traveled to Bethlehem where they knew the Christ was to be born. When they found Jesus and Joseph and Mary, they presented their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That is documented in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. They brought the child gold because he who had been born was the king of the Jews. Yes, indeed. The Messiah of Israel would be king of kings and lord of lords. They brought precious incense, which speaks of his deity and of uh, man's duty to worship the true and living God with obedience and prayers. And they brought myrrh, okay, which was an ointment commonly used in in embalming the dead. The myrrh spoke of the Messiah's impending death to save his people from their sins. Now, therefore were Gentiles brought to Jesus by the light of the star and were among the first to worship him. Gentiles, not Jews. They were the first to worship Jesus. Now in the book of Acts, the, the apostles preached the good news to both Jews and Gentiles. In Acts 13, um, verses 44 through 49, we read this. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. My Lord, my Lord. Verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas answered, answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first, talking to the Jews, since you rejected and do not consider yourself worthy of eternal life. We now turn to the Gentiles. Praise God for them rejecting the chief cornerstone. That's how we got saved. Okay. My Lord, my Lord. Verse 47. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light, For the Gentiles, you hear the apostles quote in Isaiah, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. All who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. My Lord. Hallelujah. Now that the majority of the Jews did not believe is discussed by Paul in Romans chapter 9 through chapter 11. Now in eleven twenty five and 26, the apostle Paul says this, Israel has experienced a hardening. And I mentioned this throughout these episodes in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will, will be saved based on a promise that God made to their forefathers. But when it says all of Israel, it's not talking about all of Israel because the scriptures also says that God has reserved himself a remnant. That remnant is, is the Israelis. Yeah, I'm sorry, the Israelites. That's, that's the remnant that God is talking about because those who don't believe will not be saved. That refuge that they think they safe in now, according to the Old Testament scriptures, will be taken away from them. They won't have that refuge anymore. So when it says all of Israel, that's why we have to rightly divide the scriptures. That's why you have to listen to people who's going to tell you what these scriptures mean. That is what this is talking about. When it says the full number of the Gentiles has come in, when the full numbers have the Gentiles have come in. And so all Israel will be saved. All of the ones who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay. Now the Gentiles would flock to Jesus in droves becoming the new Israel. Okay. Now I often hear, you know, pastors and bishops, you know, in private arguing about, no, the church ain't the new Israel. We, we are the new church, the body of Christ. We're not the new Israel. Well, I we the new Israel because the chosen Israel were God's chosen people back then. Because they believed on the true and living God, then they started turning their backs and started on on the new um, turning their backs to the new God, uh, worshiping idols and 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 following people who were worshiping idol gods because they could see it. And so what happened was because God made that promise, and I just said this to their forefathers that he was going to save Israel, he kept forgiving them. He kept on forgiving them. but at the end of the day, that's the only reason why Israel was God's chosen people. But today, those in Christ are God's chosen people. Anyone outside of Christ, I, I will say this again, and I say this with all with love in my heart, in the in my entire heart, that if you are outside of Christ and you are believing in another religion, you can be a Buddhist, you can be in um uh, a Muslim. It doesn't mean anything to the true and living God. The God who created the heavens and the earth is the God who who sent the Messiah. And that's the God who is going to judge the whole world. Having idol gods is nothing new. Okay. This has been going on for centuries. Even during Jesus's day, before Jesus came, in the prophet Isaiah's day, uh, Malachi's day. Uh, Daniel's day, that's what all these scriptures was about, them worshiping idol gods and God being angry with each and every one of them, but God is keeping his promise. The Messiah is available to everyone, but not everybody is going to be saved. Okay. Now let's go to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53, I am reading verses one through three. You can pause the tape. And when you find Isaiah 53, you, um, we will be on the same page. Okay. Verse one, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Verse three, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, a familiar and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. My Lord, for those of us who have come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord, Isaiah 53 gives us perhaps our most comprehensive picture of Jesus in the entire Old Testament. Now, others cannot see him here. When I say others, I'm talking about the non-believers. They can't see Jesus in these Old Testament scriptures. They see the prophecies contained in Isaiah 53 as dealing with the nation Israel or some other figure in history, not, not God's suffering servant, Jesus. Now, the Jews of Jesus's day, thought the Messiah would be a political savior. And I often talked about this, why the Jews didn't recognize Jesus, because i am asked this um, on a regular basis, why the Jews didn't know who he was, and they supposed to have known the Old Testament, because they didn't understand. I don't want to get off on um, my uh, order here of these scriptures, but they were looking for Jesus, the savior, the Messiah, to be a political figure and savior and and bringing in a new day for Israel, where they would would be free from oppression and suffering. Now, for those of you who are not aware, Israel wasn't just enslaved by Egypt. Egypt was the first country to enslave um, Israel. Syria enslaved them as well as um, three other countries. So they were enslaved by a total of five nations. Okay, and if you guys want to hear a, a wonderful teaching on that, my brother in, in Christ, in the body of Christ, uh Pastor Um Fred K. Price Jr. taught a series on that, and I tell you, it was very enlightening. Very enlightening. Now, the Jews of Jesus' day, you have to remember that they were um right in that at his second coming, he would actually be that that great savior and political figure. They didn't know that he, the Messiah had to come twice, okay? The Messiah Jesus will come in great power and might to bring righteousness and renewal to the entire earth, not just Israel. Now, as the Jews look from the mountaintop of, of prophecy, to the mountaintop of the Messiah's coming in power and glory, they failed to see that little mountain called Calvary. Now, the portrait of Christ in Isaiah 53 actually begins in chapter 52, beginning at verse 13. It says this, see, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Now, who is wiser than Jesus? Who of, of all men in history has been raised and then lifted up and more highly exalted? If not Jesus, then who? Tell it to me now. It definitely wasn't Israel. Uh-uh. Now, Isaiah goes on describing Jesus' disfigurement at the hands of his executioners, then says in Isaiah fifty-two fifteen, so will he sprinkle many nations. And kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Now the word sprinkling um, speaks of blessing. The suffering servant will bless the nations is what this scripture is talking about. He will rule over kings. What the Gentiles had never been taught, they will now understand. Okay. Okay. He wasn't talking about Israel. He was saying uh, when they said, and what they were never taught, he's talking about and what the Gentiles had never been taught. You see, the Gentiles were never given the law because they were not Jews. Anyone who is not a Jew is a Gentile or either a Greek. So what they were never taught is what they were talking about, the law. They were never taught the law. They will now understand. Okay. Now um, let's move on over to chapter 53 has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now this is the unbelievers problem. They have not believed the message of God's gospel, not man's gospel, God's gospel. It has not been revealed to them in the faith that follows regeneration. Okay. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. Verse two, Jesus is often described as part of a tree, okay? He is the root of Jesse and the branch of Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. The root of Jesse and the branch that Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 was talking about, that's who Jesus is. Now, we saw in the tabernacle and elsewhere that wood signified his humanity the Messiah's humanity. He entered this world out of dry ground and Israel that had long since left its heritage of the patriarchs. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Verse two. Now, men judge on outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. First Samuel 16 confirms that. Jesus came as an ordinary man. Philippians 2 verses 7 through 8 confirms that he wasn't a great beauty like David's son Absalom or David or any of his sons. David was super handsome, the Bible says, and his son Absalom was more handsome than his father David. You know, that men would would gravitate to his side, you know, especially, you know, and, and women. But Christ didn't come here for women. He came here on a mission. Nobody gravitated to him. Those who really understood who he was through his message because they followed the scriptures, they admired him and followed him and gravitated to him because they knew he was the Messiah. Because let me tell you, I would have been clinging to his leg left and right. Now you can also read Samuel chapter 14 verse 25 in reference to what I just said. Now, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. That's verse three. Now Jesus' following grew very large, but people were, at, they were attracted to him by what he could do for them, like feed the multitudes or, or heal, heal them from their diseases and from their infirmities or deliver them, or cast demons out of them, they were following him simply because of what he could do for them. Now the minute Jesus was arrested, y'all know the story, they started to reject him and they started shouting crucify him, crucify him in Luke 23 verse 21. Now Jesus was also a man of great sorrow and familiar with suffering. Now we are familiar with Jesus's suffering at Calvary but we often forget what it must have been like for the Holy God to live in a sinful world for more than 30 years. You know, I think we all forgot about that. You know, we can see his anguish in what he said in Mark chapter nine, verse 19. He said, "O unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Hallelujah. Righteous indignation our Savior had. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not, which is in verse three. Now, were it not for God's grace in lifting us up from our dead condition, we too would despise the Savior. Uh Uh-huh. We would hide our faces from him and esteem him not. Isaiah knows. Isaiah knows. Now we are going to examine Isaiah 53 verses 4 through 6. Okay. Very carefully. And let me read them. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed and bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his stripes or his wounds, depending on the version you have, we are healed and we were healed. We all like sheep, this is verse 6, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, because we went our own way. My Lord, my Lord. Woo! Unbelievers cannot see Jesus in these scriptures, saints, but we can. The unbelievers are completely blind. It is as, as the apostle Paul said in second Corinthians chapter four, verse four, he said, the God of this age, the God of this age is Satan. Of this age, God is the God of all the ages. You may hear some pastors or bishops say, "God, the God of all the ages is the God who created the heavens and the earth. But the God of this current age, including the age when Paul and them were trying to convince people that this is the Messiah now. He had to come twice. This is the Messiah. Y'all have to believe on him. This is the chief cornerstone. (sighs) Oh My goodness. Satan existed then. That's why Jesus said that he had to leave because the God of this world or either this age is coming and he has no place in me. You knew he wasn't talking about himself. You knew he wasn't talking about his father. Who did you think Jesus was talking about? What God you thought Jesus was talking about when he said that he had to go because the God of this age was coming and he has no place in me. So the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. That word see in the Greek means come to know or either understand. They can't understand or either come to know who Christ is. You know, he, uh, they can't see that light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, the good news. They can't see it. Who is the image of God? That's the very end, the very tail end of second Corinthians verse four, chapter four, verse four. Okay. Now the picture of Jesus literally jumps out of these verses to believers. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Uh Uh-huh. We can see who that is. Can't we see this in Isaiah 53, 4, 6? The sufferings of Jesus had been discussed in the last chapter. Now here we are told another reason why he suffered while on the earth. He took up himself our burdens of illness and our sorrows. For example, when his friend Lazarus died, Jesus wept. The apostle uh, John says in chapter 11 verse 35, Jesus wept. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. Verse four. Now in John chapter 10, verse 20, after hearing Jesus, many of the Jews said he is a demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? Many of the Jews were saying that now. Now this was the Messiah Moses was talking about, but they didn't comprehend who he was. It's a shame when you don't know scripture. It's, It's a shame. That's how many people stumble when it comes to Jesus. They don't understand the Old Testament uh, scriptures rather than seeing Jesus really for who he was. The Pharisees and teachers of the law accused him of being demon possessed. They spoke against the Holy Spirit, which will never be forgiven. Mm -mm, You can't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And that's uh, today too. You can't, and if you don't believe, especially if you know you really don't understand, that's why you don't believe your best bet is not to speak blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Verse five says, but he was pierced for our transgressions or either iniquities. He was crushed or either bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. That punishment that he took brought us peace. And by his stripes, we were healed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now the N.I.B. says, and by his wounds, we are healed. But the traditional King James and the new King James says, by his stripes, we are healed. I mean, we were healed. Now, who else or what else in the history of humanity could this verse be referring to if it's not the Lord Jesus? Who, who else could they be talking about? Now, this scripture clearly teaches the principle of vicarious atonement, that one person might die to atone for the sins of another, for the natural man. This is pure foolishness. The apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter one, verses 22 through 24, he says this Jews demand miraculous signs and, and, or either, uh, uh, signs and wonders and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Okay. That's the good news. We preach the apostle Paul says Christ crucified. So if the Jews is looking for miraculous signs, even though they, they ignored them when Jesus performed them, and the Greek are looking for wisdom, and Paul and them coming up there saying, Hey, Christ crucified for your sins, you know, he was he was pierced for our transgressions and was and bruised for our iniquities, it became a stumbling block, according to the apostle Paul, to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles but to those whom God has called, hallelujah, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Hallelujah. First Corinthians chapter one, verses 22 through 24. Now we all like sheep have gone astray. Verse six in Isaiah 53, each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him, him who the Messiah the iniquity of us all. Now, one of the things that angers the, the natural, unsaved, unbelieving man is the Bible's referring to their sinful lifestyles. Okay, that, that really angers them. Now, fr- um, frankly, some Christians are offended as well. You could see them posting, uh, judge me when you become perfect. No, the word of God is judging you. And And Isaiah speaks of that as well in the book of Isaiah. When you turn, God says, they are not uh, turning their backs on you or ignoring you. they turning their backs on me. When they are sinning, they ain't sinning against you. They may be committing, committing crimes against you, but when you sin, you commit a sin against the holy and living God. And by you not wanting nobody to tell you about your sins, if you are a Christian, that tells me that you could care less what God thinks because he had put this message. Now we all know the apostles were not perfect, but yet Paul, Peter, and Jude, and James all told the the body of Christ, the members of the body, the church, about their sinful lifestyles. So if they are telling you about your sinful lifestyles, or if they told the people back then about their sinful lifestyles, we have an obligation to do it as well. Now, A lot of Christians often are offended and they will say, we are good, honest citizens. You know, we not evil like other people, but the Bible tells it like it is. And that's just the bottom line. The Bible tells it like it T.I.T. is. Now, most bad theology has bad anthropology at its foundation. We think too highly of ourselves and therefore we think too poorly of God. But Isaiah says each of us has turned to our own way and left on our own, we don't want God. Let's keep it real. If we are left to our own devices, we don't want God. Mm -mm. We want to be autonomous, which means a law unto ourselves. We want to create our own religion. And I'm here to tell you saints, only by the grace of God in his saving mercy can we do anything good. That's why you often hear me say to God be the glory, because I wouldn't love the people that I love today, I wouldn't do anything for anyone, including strangers today, if it wasn't for the grace of God. It's because of God I'm doing this. Not because of me. It's because of God. I'm not attributing anything to me, no glory and honor to me, but glory and honor to the true and living God, God, the father and his son, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now, one other thing about verse 6 I want to bring to the forefront. Isaiah says, the Lord has laid on him, the Messiah, the iniquity of us all. Now, this is the gospel, saints, pure and uncluttered. This is the gospel. Why did Jesus come to earth? To save his people from their sins, Matthew 1, um, beginning at verse 21. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. His victory on the cross actually saved his people. Yes, it did. Him dying on the cross, that victory when he defeated Satan by dying on that cross and raising from the grave on that third day, that is what gives us the victory. Now, it didn't just make it possible for some to be saved, his atoning sacrifice was totally effective. Then, in the course of the centuries, The Holy Spirit has been applying his work to individuals like you and me today. Hallelujah. So that cross, the blood of Jesus still has that power here today. Y'all know that song? all the blood that Jesus shed on Calvary, it still has its power. Hallelujah. Now Christ died for the whole world without distinction. That means salvation is available to everyone on the planet earth. Okay. On the planet called earth salvation is available. It's up to you to choose it. You can go another route if you want to, but there is no other way. There is no other way for anybody to be saved other than the blood of Jesus, other than the cross of Jesus. Christ died for the whole world. And we need to understand that Jews as well as Gentiles, Jesus didn't die for, for everyone. Okay, and I, I'm not contradicting myself. Jesus died for his church. He died for those who were going to believe in him, but it is available to the whole world. It is available to everyone. What? What is available? The gospel. Salvation. That's available to everyone. So we have to make up our minds whether or not we're gonna stick with Jesus to this end. I wanna see what the end will be. That's what uh This great gospel singer, Vanessa Bell Armstrong, says in one of her songs, I'm going to keep running to see what the end will bring. And I'm going to keep running, too. And I suggest you do, too, because there is no other way to be saved. I know that we have some religions out here that sound good. Oh, yeah, it sounds good. It sounds wonderful. Oh, I'm going to go with that because it sounds good. I had someone tell me the reason they left the nation of Islam because they wanted to eat pork chops, so they became a Christian. I said, oh my God, I said, if you became a Christian so that you can eat pork chops, young man, you are not saved. And I shared the gospel with him. And that's why I am equipping you to share the gospel with your fellow sister and brother. And I'm talking about biological, not spiritual, who don't believe in Jesus or understand who he is. You have this word to share with them. Okay, that's why I'm sharing the truth with you so that you can point out Jesus in these scriptures. There is simply no other way. Now, we ought to call everyone to repentance. That's what we need to do. Why? You must say because Jesus commanded it in Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20 and coupled with Acts chapter 17 verse 30. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um we are still in Isaiah chapter 53. Um, I'm going to read, let me see, verses seven through 10. Okay. Isaiah chapter 53. Y'all ready? You can pause the tape. I know y'all, some of y'all frowned up, but I'm speaking in love. I am speaking in love. That's why it took me years before I had, I had accepted the call to the ministry. I was fighting it for a long time. I'm like, I ain't preaching and teaching nothing. And I couldn't understand why I was having these feelings? A pastor had to tell me I was called to, uh, to preach, or I prefer to use the word teach. I'm a teacher in the body of Christ. Uh, a pa- I had to be told that, and I was like, "Why? Why me?" He says something in you the Lord want, because let me tell you, I uh, pursued uh, the world with um, a lot of energy. I guess the Lord say I'm going to turn that energy around, just like the apostle Paul. When he pursued Christians <laughs> and he was condemning Christians, God turned that energy around for Paul to preach the gospel. And 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 I believe wholeheartedly that's why he called me. Energy and, and being bold because I am bold with this gospel. Okay, uh, Isaiah chapter 53 verses 7 through 10 and I am reading. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb or a sheep to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth by oppression and judgment. He was taken away and who can speak of his descendants for he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked And with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, he had done no wrong, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Verse 9, no, verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Now that's Isaiah 53. It portrays our savior as the suffering servant who came to bear the iniquities of his people. So how did the Jews miss these scriptures? They didn't know. I wonder, you know what? I wonder who did they think Isaiah was talking about? We as believers can clearly see that they were talk, that Isaiah was talking about Jesus. And when I was getting ready to say there, I'm talking about the scriptures, that the, the scriptures are talking about Jesus. These scriptures speak so clearly of Jesus, yet many refuse to see him at all. Now, these four verses will help to convince some of the non-believers. Okay, because God is searching your heart right now while you are listening. OK, while you are hearing this message, God, the Holy Spirit is searching your heart. That's why the Holy Spirit is also known as the spirit of truth. OK, that Jesus was going to send back here to search the hearts of men who hear the gospel, because how can you hear what I to preach? When you hear it, if your heart is right, that seal was set there. You will feel a change in that instance. Now, let's look at Matthew. No, 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 no. Let me go over this, this scripture again where Isaiah says he was oppressed and afflicted in verse seven. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb or a sheep to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, he, so he did not open his mouth. Now in Matthew chapter 27, verses 12 and 14, we read of the lamb of God remaining silent while being prosecuted before the Jewish priests and Pontius Pilate. Okay. We read this when Jesus was accused by the chief priest and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge to the great amazement of the governor. Hallelujah. These scriptures come to pass through Jesus. Okay, they're being fulfilled in the Messiah. Now, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of, of my people, he was stricken. That's verse 8. Now, notice that Isaiah prophesies that Jesus will be taken away and cut off, which means executed. Actually, the Lord himself is speaking. See Isaiah 52, 5. Notice also that the Lord also gives the reason why Jesus was stricken for the transgressions of the Lord's people. Not for anything he did, but for the transgressions of the Lord's people. Now, this is a distinct group. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had, had done no violence, no wrong, nor was any deceit in his mouth. That's verse nine. Now in Matthew chapter 27, verses 57 through 60, we see the fulfillment of these words that Jesus will be buried in a rich man's grave. Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for Jesus's body. Joseph was the rich man that Isaiah was talking about. He asked uh, Pontius Pilate for Jesus's body and he laid the body in his own tomb. Also notice that the injustice of the Lord's death is noted as is a hint of his absolute innocence. He was sinless. He was crimeless. Okay. The prophet Isaiah prophesied about that. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, that's verse Uh, 10, even though great injustice was done to an innocent Jesus, we we read here that it was all the Lord's will. Jesus's death was not only voluntary, Philippians 2.8, John 10.17, it had been decreed from the very beginning, starting in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Jesus's death was a guilt offering. Now, remember the sin and guilt offering in the wilderness, of Mount Sinai. Okay. Hebrews compares them to Jesus's sacrifice of himself. It's Hebrews uh, chapter 13, verse 11 through 12 says this, the high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. That's Hebrews 13, verse 11 and 12. Jesus is our guilt offering. He is our sin offering, okay? Just as Isaiah had written hundreds or thousands of years before the Messiah came and died. He also says this, remember verse 10. He will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand although cut off, Jesus would see his offspring and prolong his days. Now the Messiah was resurrected to a glorified body on the third day. We all know this story. Some think it's just an allegory, just a, a, a fairy tale. No, it's not. This actually happened. You and I are his offspring. Okay. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, meaning those who have died. That's first Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. And Jesus always did the will of the father. Just as Isaiah said, the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Jesus always did the will of the father. Now, finally, we can read out of our um, subject scriptures. um, The last half of verse 12, it says, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Jesus was not only crucified in between two sinners or like Isaiah called transgressors. He also bore the sins of many. You notice it didn't say the sins of all. He said the sins of many. The reason why he didn't say all is because not everybody going to believe. Jesus only bore the sins of those who believe. Everybody else are on their own. And is today making intercession for us in heaven. So those unsaved family members you have or friends, don't give up on them. As long as they are still breathing, they can be saved. So, Saints, I'm going to end this message here. We will conclude um, episode 18 tomorrow. I hope you were blessed by this. I think this episode is going to linger in your mind for a long time. So, I am going to extend the invite to accept Christ tomorrow. Okay, Saints? Um, So, until then, I want you to treat everyone you encounter, I don't care who they are, with compassion, dignity, and respect. Okay, you could be entertaining an angel. Uh, We don't know what people are going through, but what we do know who they need, they need the Savior. Not a Savior, they need the Savior, they need the Messiah. Hallelujah, who is available to everyone. And show them Romans chapter 10, verses 9, 10, and 11. So until next time, Saints, which is tomorrow, peace out. were enlightened by this message if you have any questions or comments about this particular episode please send your questions or comments to truth.cd at gmail.com or you can send me a direct message through my podcast by clicking on the message button located on the homepage of all my podcasts Anchor, Spotify Breaker, Google Podcast and Radio Public Submit your remarks. I should note that you must be a follower of my show to submit a voice message, so don't forget to click the follow button. You can also support my podcast financially by accessing the home page on my podcast and clicking on the support this podcast button. Whatever you choose to donate will be greatly appreciated and used to help further the gospel. I am praying for God to give you a return on your donation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel, English Standard Version. Please sow your seed in good ground with a cheerful heart because God loves a cheerful giver. Now, until next time, my sisters and brothers, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by sight. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. And remember, continue to walk with Jesus. I thank you for tuning in and I hope to see you next time.